Well, congratulations. Uh, we have made it to September um, after going through some very challenging times that, of course, we're still in the midst of, but, uh, but school is starting, things are gearing up again, and um, like I said, Lord willing, we are moving in a, in a positive direction. Um, I'll tell you about my computer. You know, there's times when I'm working on my computer and uh, things start to go a little awry. You know, the system starts getting hung up and the screen starts glitching and the programs aren't responding the way they're supposed to and things start locking up. Have you ever had that happen? Um, too often probably, right? But, but when nothing else seems to work and I've exhausted all other options, there's this three-button solution that's built into every PC. Now, I have no idea what you Mac people do, um, but in the PC world, there is this three-key combination. Do you know what it is? Control, Alt, Delete. Yes, what a beautiful combination. Those three buttons pressed down simultaneously prompts this command that overrides the hang-ups at least most of them, and it gives you the chance, the opportunity to do a, a total system reset or a reboot. And I can't tell you how many times I've hit those three buttons and the system reboots, and when it does, all of those programs that weren't working before start working again. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, I wish we had those three buttons for our world right now, <laughs> right? Anybody ready for a, a total system reset? Um, whether it comes to our world or in our lives, there are just so many things that are out of whack that are not working the way they ought to on so many different levels. And so my hope as we go through the month of September is to do a little bit of resetting, uh, to invest some time in and some energy on resetting those parts of our world, of our lives, uh, that need that. Um, resetting the way that we view what's going on around us. Seeing it through the right filters. And so that's what we're going to try to do over the next few weeks. And, and I want to start out this morning by, by hitting the reset on reality. Uh, recalibrating our lives around the reality of who God is and the reality of where he is right now at this very moment. So the question is, where is God when a, when a global pandemic strikes, right? When, when the world shuts down and the economy grinds to a halt and a standstill, when schools get closed and, and cities start burning, where's God? The answer is that he is right where he has always been. He is reigning on his throne. And, and that's a reality that we desperately need to lock into, that we need to set our lives on. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to, to Revelation uh, chapter 4. Um, Revelation is one of those scary books of the Bible. It's the final book of the Bible. Some people say it's best read while there's Pink Floyd music playing in the background. Uh, but that's not true. Um, it's a fantastic book. It's a book of worship. And uh, it's written by, by John the Apostle. Actually, the same guy that, read, that, that wrote 1 John, um, 
he wrote this book, and he wrote it while he was doing some social distancing himself, as a matter of fact. Um, He was in the middle of a pretty unsettling season of his life because he had been exiled to the prison island of Patmos. He was sentenced there by the emperor Domitian on account of his faith in Jesus, on account of him sharing the gospel message. And so here he is all alone on this island, and in the middle of all of this unrest, he is supernaturally ushered into the throne room of God. And, uh, and, and, and so, so the world around him was kind of falling apart, and he gets the chance to reset his reality around who God is. And so that kind of sets the, sets the scene for what we're about to read, because this is John trying with human words to describe what he saw. In Revelation chapter 4, and I'm going to read the first six verses, it says this, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder." And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. All right, let me just stop there. What what we're reading here is this unfiltered account of an encounter with, with, with Almighty God. John trying to kind of just communicate something that words can't adequately describe. But when things were at their worst, he saw God for who he was. And on the other side of that encounter, everything looked a whole lot different. And so the first thing that John sees is is this throne, the throne of God Almighty. Now, in ancient times, uh, thrones were like command centers. Thrones were the places where edicts were issued by the king, and, and kings would go to great lengths to construct elaborate throne rooms to project strength and security. And so you can imagine how someone like John must have responded to seeing that throne, because it's very likely that the last throne he saw was, was Emperor Domitian's. Because in John's world, he was the one who seemed to be calling the shots. Domitian was in charge. But here he catches a glimpse of of this heavenly throne and he sees that it's occupied. that, That God is seated on it and he's reigning in the place of ultimate authority. God is reigning. He he isn't running around the hallways of heaven, trying to figure out what to do to solve the problems in our world today, right? He's not frantically trying to keep things from falling apart and struggling to keep all of the different things up in the air. That's, that's not the God that John saw. This, this glimpse that he had 
was a reset. It was a reminder for him that, you know, that emperor guy who, who sentenced him and exiled him to this prison island, he's not the one who's calling the shots. It may seem that way, but it's not him. It's God. God's calling the shots. He's fully aware of what's going on. He knows what's going to happen next. And regardless of how things look, make no mistake, it's all going to go down according to his good plans and purposes. We need to hear that today, don't we? We need that assurance, that reminder that Almighty God is still reigning on that same throne today. In the middle of COVID shutdowns, in the middle of government restrictions, in the middle of all of the challenges, all of the talking heads telling us what we should do and what we shouldn't do, and there's like no lack of opinions. But remember this, your God is large and in charge. Regardless of what human leadership looks at any level, and, and regardless of who occupies the White House after November 3rd, God is going to remain in charge. Thank God. And this throne is a snapshot of sovereignty. It's a snapshot of the sovereignty of God. The reality is nothing takes God by surprise, right? No one ever runs into God's throne room and says, God, I've got to update you. You're not going to believe what's happening. He knows it all. We don't understand it all the time, but he is always working out all things according to his good purposes. Maybe we need to hear that this morning. Maybe we need that reminder. Maybe we need to reset our realities around who God is today. You know, there's, there's challenging situations that we have to deal with on a daily basis, and many of them, make no mistake, are completely out of our control. They're beyond us. But there has never been and never will be a single situation that is beyond him. And what that means is that your God is greater than your obstacles. Whatever your problem be, whatever the obstacle is that's before, you take it out and place it next to God. And know this, that the greater than sign is always going to be pointing towards him. Always has always will be. John also not only describes the throne, but he describes the one who's sitting on the throne. And he says that this, this, this one had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. There's like this, this shining crystal radiance, this brilliant light that's emanating from the throne. And that goes along with what we read in 1 Timothy. In chapter 6, verse 15, it says, John, God is the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. Can, can you imagine unapproachable light, right? Light that is so powerful, so brilliant that we can't even behold it. That's, a, that's just a little tiny foreshadowing of what God is like. Now, the, the most powerful light that we all know is, is the sun. 
It's, it's a relatively small star in the solar system or in the, in the universe, but it's, it's the most powerful thing in our solar system. In fact, it's the natural source of all energy, all light, and, and all heat that the earth receives. Now, the sun is 93 million miles away. But don't you dare try to stare at the sun. It'll fry out your retina. That's how powerful it is. And, and here's, here's John. He is, he's in the throne room of heaven. He is standing feet away, not from the sun, but from the one who created the sun. It's overwhelming. It's beyond comprehension. There are no words that we can grab to adequately describe the glory of God. The best he can get at is describing his reflected brilliance. He's so awesome. He's so holy that he's dangerous. He's dangerous in the best way possible. In fact, we, we read in a couple of verses later that John talks about thunder and peals of lightning that come from the throne. This, this throne room, this place where John had found himself, it, it's a dangerous place. And there's something about that that, that we can reset our lives on as well. There's, there is this overwhelming otherness to God that's for real. Yes, God is near and dear, but he's also high and nigh. Or we could describe him as being holy, awesome, other. Holy, awesome, other. The, the closer we get to him, the more we see how unlike him we are. In the first chapter of Revelation, just a couple of chapters before this one, John gets this glimpse of Jesus in all his glory. You know how he responded? He fell at his feet as though dead. That was his response. That's what happens. The same thing happened in Exodus. Moses asked God, God, Lord, show me your glory. And, and, and God says, the purity, the power, the majesty of my face is, is too much for you. It would end you. It would do you in. You would never make it out alive. And so he settles for just a passing glimpse as he's, as he's walking past. Then there's Isaiah. Remember Isaiah? He caught a glimpse of, of the Lord on his throne as well. And his response was what? Woe to me. I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips. There was this recognition of how unlike him he is. Our, our God is an awesome God. Let's, let's reset our lives around that again this morning. He is not like me. He is not like you. And that's a good thing. Because we are finite. We come to the end of our power, our strength, our knowledge, our ability... And he never does. He never does. I love the C.S. Lewis book, uh, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I think this is one of the most greatest portrayals of, of, of this concept that we're talking about with Aslan, who is the, uh, the Christ figure, this lion in this, in this fairy tale. And there's these two girls, Susan and Lucy. They're getting ready to meet Aslan for the first time. 
and, um, and, and the two other characters, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, you've got to read the book, um, they're preparing the girls for meeting Aslan. Susan says, oh, I, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, said Mrs. Beaver, and make no mistake, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then isn't he safe, said Lucy? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver is telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that's... That's our God. Is he safe? Of course not, but he's good. And maybe right now is a good time to recalibrate our lives around that reality. John John goes on, and after describing the throne, he goes on and describes the response of those who were nearest to the throne. Let's let's keep reading here and see what, what comes next. He says this, And all around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created." All right, so here's the response, and here's the idea is that as we encounter God for who he is, the response is unbridled worship. That's how it works. John John talks about these two sets of character who are standing nearest to the throne. One is the 24 elders, and the second group are the four living creatures. Now, let's not get hung up here. We don't exactly know who they are but they make up the inner circle, the the literal inner circle of the throne room of God. And and by the way, um, when you read and it says living creatures, I don't know if you're like me, but my initial response is like monster, you know, like something out of the closet, right? Something creepy, crawly. That's that's not what this is trying to get at. Um, Don't think of monster. What it's highlighting is the fact that these creatures are created. See, that's the point, that they're created. God is uncreated. These are created. They're not God, but make no mistake, these are the highest of all of God's created beings. They, they, they have incredible strength and mobility. That's symbolized by, by the six wings. That's, that's an apocalyptic way of, of talking about strength. They have amazing insight, and that's symbolized by the eyes all around their body. That's another way of, of saying that. And, 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 and these, are, these are heavenly creatures. These are of a whole different species from anything that, that you and I have ever laid our eyes on 
But if we saw them, we would be like blown away in ways that we can't even describe. So here they are, the most astounding specimens in all of creation who are standing nearest in the presence to Almighty God. And what are they doing? They're, they're, they're leading worship. That's, that's their role. They, they respond in worship to who is on the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's, that's their response. They, they respond by declaring the glory and the holiness of God. They announce him as Lord of the past, of the present, and the future forever. And at that, the, 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 the 24 elders pick it up from there. They, they hear that chorus, and they fall down in worship. They, they lay their crowns and testify that as creator, God alone is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. What we saw first was a snapshot of sovereignty. This here is a snapshot of, of worship. That it's recognizing and responding to the infinite worth of Almighty God. It's saying what needs to be said, declaring that he's worthy of all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise that we can give with our lives. And you know, that's something that we do by instinct. We, we, we declare what's most worthy. So let me give you an example of how that happens in a very unreligious way. Um, somewhere about 10 years ago, I, I turned from like listening to music on the radio in the car all the time to listening to talk radio um, to then settling on sports radio. And so I listen to uh, sports radio when I'm in the car and I have the opportunity to. And let me tell you something. If you listen to sports radio every day, someone will call in with an opinion, with a case to make about why this player is higher in the hierarchy of greatest players of all time than that player. Every single day, this will happen. And it goes on for hours because this is what guys like to do. They debate over meaningless kinds of things. You know, here's why Thurman Munson was the greatest catcher of all time and why he's better than Jorge Posada. Or the one for today is this, right? Who is the GOAT? Who is the greatest of all time basketball player? And there's a lot of debate right now. LeBron James or Michael Jordan? And if you think that doesn't matter, tune in to 660 WFAN at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and I guarantee you it matters. Glory matters. We understand that. And as we encounter Almighty God for who He is, there's just a, a right response. The natural response is this response that there's just simply no debate. There's no question. The spotlight doesn't belong anywhere else. He alone is worthy. And we shift whatever spotlight we've been given, whatever spotlight we have, and we place it on him. We release our titles, our treasures, just like they released those crowns that were in their hands, and they, they chose to offer it to their God to make much of him. 
when we reset our lives around the reality of who God is, worship is the result. And the worship in heaven, it it never stops. Did you notice that? It says, night and day, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You know what that's saying is that they just can't get enough of it. As soon as they finish one sentence, like, we need to do this again. We need an encore. This, what we're encountering is so amazing. This is the greatest show on heaven and earth. And so we got, we, we got to do it again. We got to do it again. Constantly, continually giving glory to God. And, and, and we do that in a way, there's a corporate aspect to, to worship that, that starts and stops. And, and on a Sunday morning, we do that through singing songs and, and getting the focus all ourself and off of ourselves and, and joining the, the chorus of heaven, joining with these angels and the elders and these living creatures and, and magnifying our God. But you know, worship is more than singing songs, Right? You know that when the song stops, the worship doesn't. Worship is, is a lifestyle. It's a life that gives glory to God. The, 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 the Westminster Catechism of Faith, the f- famous statement of the core truths of the Christian faith, the very first question that it starts off with is, what is the chief end of man? That's the question. The answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I got to tell you, I love that they've connected glory with joy. Our joy is poured out as we glorify and we're connected to the right object of worship. The reason that we were made is to glorify God. And there's nothing like seeing something that was made to do what it was intended to do, doing what it was intended and created to do. And so uh, just as an example of that, I'm going to tell you about my, my lawnmower. Maybe I've told this story before, but when my parents sold their house several years ago, and we were just moving into a house for the first time, and so my dad, um, after he retired from the police department, he started a, a lawn mowing business that lasted for about a season, and he figured out that insurance costs were way too high, so they stopped doing that. But he had this nice commercial 36-inch cut lawnmower with levers, you know, and it turns on a dime and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and we were just getting the house, so he gave it to me, and, and I used it to mow the lawn for the first... I'm still using it. That was like 25 years ago. Um, and it was a pleasure. But we were just, you know, really young. We just had a house. We had like no money. And when, when winter came came, the lawnmower didn't help me too much with shoveling the driveway, right? And, and so when it came to taking care of the snow, it was me, a shovel, and a sore back. And, and that went on for, you know, January, February. This happened to be a really bad winter, this first winter we were in there. And there was like three feet of snow out there one day, and I'm out there shoveling the driveway. And I'm looking in the garage, and I'm thinking... I wonder how that lawnmower would do on the driveway. And I was tempted. I got to say, I was at the point of delirium because, you know, shoveling that long and doing that same motion for that long just kind of makes you think thoughts that aren't really normal. Um, But I never actually started the lawnmower up. 
and ran it through the snow. The reason is because lawnmowers are made to cut grass, not blow snow, right? It does a great job at cutting the grass. That's what it's made for. But here, here's the connection. We were, we were made, we were created to glorify God. That's, that's why we exist. Our lives, our lives are designed to declare the worth of our God and our Savior all the time. Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer up your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Worship doesn't stop when we leave these doors. It continues on the job, in our school, with our friends, our family. When we get together, when we go on vacation, all of our lives can be an expression of worship to God. Worship is asking that person that you lost it with for forgiveness. Worship is, is returning that extra $10 that the cashier gave you by mistake at the grocery store. Worship is, is listening to what those in authority tell you to do without the pushback and the rebellion. Our lives can become like a great painting, right? The, the, the great paintings don't end in themselves. You don't stare at them and say, what a great painting. They always point back to the master artist. And a lifestyle of worship is always pointing back to the same thing that heaven is always constantly pointing to, the glory of God. Let's reset our lives around who God is and respond in worship, and, and realize this, that, that worship isn't something we that have to do, like this is our obligation, this is what we get to do, because God doesn't need us to worship him. He's not some kind of insecure, um, you know, tyrant who's forcing his subjects to, to glorify him. He is the object of unceasing worship in the heavens. It never stops. And the only reason is that because of the nature, by nature of who he is, his very being is the greatest show on earth. So the same way that no one ever has to force an audience to applause, applaud the band that's playing after they play an amazing set, no one ever forces God. You know, God doesn't force his people to, to worship him. It's, it's just the nature of who he is. He, he doesn't need our worship, but we need him as the object of our worship because he's not diminished when we don't worship him, but, but we are. Because the reality is we all worship something. Our fix, our focus is always going to be exalting something or someone to that ultimate place of importance, of value in our lives. The only question is, what is it going to be? my job, my friendships, my family, this title, safety, comfort, predictability. Oftentimes they could be good things that, that we turn into God things, and when a good thing turns into a God thing, it ultimately becomes a bad thing because it can't sustain our lives. We can't build our lives around things that are not strong enough 
to support the weight of what we go through in our lives. God alone is the only object that can sustain them. Anything else is by nature less. And so maybe over these past few months, some of those lesser objects have started to crumble down around you. I thought I knew how things were going to go, and suddenly they're not going that way, and I don't like that. Maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. Maybe, maybe God is using that to point us to him. Think about that. Whatever it is, let's, let's reset on the reality of who God is. He, is. he is reigning right now on his throne, right where he's always been. And as we encounter him for who he is, let's just respond in the way that's simply just, it's just common sense. Common sense is taking the crowns, the treasures, everything that we've been giving and laying it down in worship and surrender. Living our lives to declare his name and his fame and making much of him by living a life of worship. What, what might change this week with that reset in place? How might our relationships and our homes and our families and our places of work be different as a result? How may our attitude and orientation be transformed? Let's go for it together. Pray with me, please. Lord, thank